what you don't know that it's, it says six on the Facebook, and I did you and your friend a little favor and had you as the opening act.
You just heard the song Evolution Blues by Pale Blue Dot Band out of Charlottesville, Virginia. The title of the album is Kingdom, Phylum, Class, Order, Family, Genus, Species. I was lucky enough to have the lead singer and man who penned the songs into the studio today, Mr. Tony LaRocco. Tony, what can you say about Evolution Blues? Tony, how are you? Uh, I'm just happy to be here. I smile when I'm happy and laugh when I'm happy. That's fantastic. I'm glad that you're happy. You deserve to be happy. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mortimer. Um, It actually was written out of a uh, jam that my a lead guitar player just kind of randomly came up with. It's a little tapping part, uh, and we thought it was really cool, so we started kind of turning it into like kind of a 12-bar blues kind of vibe, but kind of with what we do uh, on it. And lyrically, I started to... There are jams and there are jellies, and, and there are compotes as well. That's right. And uh, I bet you uh, uh, Douglas uh, knows a thing or two about marmalades, I'm guessing. Um, so lyrically, I started thinking about, um, you know, doing something a little bit different and trying to maybe have more of the lyrics be prominent and be kind of the focus. And so to, instead of sing it, try to speak it, um, a la Lou Reed or Tom Waits or, or somebody of that nature. So I started thinking about climate change, but well, that's not even true. I think I started thinking about just the concept of evolution and, and the whole record is a bit of a concept record. And as we were starting to take shape with everything, I was still working on lyrics for that, that song. And I thought, wouldn't that be a great overture, a lyrical overture talking about, um, anthropology and, uh, the, the emotional evolution and, uh, physical evolution and our connection to the world or the planet and how, how at, at 20 in 2019 how detached we have become from it uh and so that line was thinking about all the problems that we're going to have and are having ecologically and as well as even just between ourselves between countries or states or whatever state of minds uh all kind of come down to this fact that for some reason we think we're the be-all end-all of this planet and as far as being alone, you know, I don't necessarily mean it in the theological standpoint, but it certainly is as well. Um, but I also thought of it as like, are there, is there life on other planets, you know? And, and the mm. Fermi paradox is something that I'm really kind of every once in a while get obsessed with and, and read about, you know, and, and the thumb sketch on that is like there, there are, and I'm, I'm, you know, you, <laughs> there are several different, um, issues with the, the, just the quick answer of are we alone right. and the answer could is either no you know no we're not or yes we are and in the yes we are that means we're on a we're in the middle of a extremely barren desert and here we are in this one speck of dust uh you know circling a, the, a pale star, the, the pale blue dot itself exactly the um other options in the Fermi paradox are that we're not alone, but everybody else is just as far or less as far through the evolutionary uh, uh, filter, right? You got it. And and then, and then the scarier stuff, uh, to me scarier, is there are aliens, they are further along, 
that either are waiting for us to do something to contact us, which could be either good or bad, um, or that they're like these guys are yokels. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, which one have well, and, and... well I, I think it's you know I don't know if it's so simple as we have to do this or else. I mean, obviously, you know, I think there are you know people great ideas out there but but i think that starting with conversation um is is the it's, it has to be the, the 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 beginning point these things that maybe will push us further into the future of the say the jetsons instead of into the future of like i don't know post-apocalypse like mad max or something you know right. um yeah right so to me animals is a so again, kind of thinking of the record as a concept record, it's it's the it's the moment that we start to leave our animalistic ideas and we become the aliens, right? Which is the another song on that on that on that album. That the chorus of you know, come on now, uh, here we are, things fall apart. Just meaning that like we have to be in touch with our emotional behavior. Like it, it's there for a reason. My my own inability to deal with my emotions and and how feeling your emotions and living with your emotions isn't only a Buddhist concept or Buddhist belief. And there are a lot of, I think, different theologies that, that also believe in these things, but it's important for us to recognize how we feel instead of, instead of burying them. This is Douglas Day with Books My Heart. Our guest today is Mr. Tony Larocco. Hello. Of, and he's that talking is. about his latest album, that's us. So it goes like this idea that like life is going to go on, whether you're part of this thing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, kind of the whole idea of animals. Like I, I thought again about Vonnegut, like he's so humorous in the sense of, yeah, right. You know, it's, it's just, it's like, don't, don't think you're anything better than you really are, you know? And maybe it's a little John Lennon of me, if that's a word um, to, to, to think that if we could all just, accept things as they truly are there the, the the album isn't just about climate change it's about social justice it's about um science denial mm. things that we know are a fact people are questioning whether it's that we landed on the moon or whether it's you know that, that you know vaccines work or whatever it might be it's 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 in, it's really crazy you know and and this was all before covid hit that i was trying to kind of jump into this science denial conversation and so i think the the idea of like everything is beautiful and nothing hurts is just like if you just let go of some of this pain you'll be all right and whatever this pain is that a lot of these to have that that line you know because musically it just crescendos and it just feels like a wave and dakota's guitar playing is just oh it's choice and it it is somber you know, I think it's a very sad line. It's a beautiful line, and it, it it can, in a way, be happy. I think just like death can be, or whatever. And I think that's to me kind of the idea is that it's it's it can be past tense and, and future as well. You know, if you are letting go, that moment that you let go becomes the past. It's a it's a powerful line, and dealing with PTSD and yeah, you know, they weren't ready to talk about, you know, <laughs> things like therapy and letting go of male ego. And he certainly would have been one to be able to do that, I think, as far as toxic masculinity goes. I don't think Vonnegut was full of that. 
<laughs> Thanks, Mortimer. Thank you so much. And uh, Douglas, you, you keep up the good work. Thank you, Mr. Laraco. Thank you, Mortimer. This is Douglas Day with Book Smite with Douglas Day. Mortimer. Yes, Douglas. You have another song that's going to escort us out of the program today? I do, Douglas. Another one from Pale Blue Dot. And what would that be called, Mortimer? The title of the song, Douglas, is Animals. Excellent, Mortimer. Now it's time to turn the microphone over to our sound man and beekeeper extraordinaire, Mr. Nigel Lewis Stevenson. Thank you, Douglas. Today I'm going to read a poem from my Hudson Valley series. Excellent, Nigel. Yeah, I'm on. This is called Hudson Valley Series Number One. Awoke at daybreak and trundled down the stairs to the kitchen. Out the window on the driveway in front of the garage, I spied the backside of a cat-like animal disappearing round the corner of our garage. Its coat was fluffy, could it be a cat? And its coat was long, unkempt, and streaked with white. The way it sort of rolled from side to side while it walked put me in mind of a skunk. It was a skunk, I'm sure of it. Tomorrow at daybreak I shall check again for its presence. I am assuming they too are creatures of habit. He or she must live up in the stretch of woods at the back of our property. I know they are known for eating grubs. I have treated the lawn with milky spore so this skunk may not find many grubs to feast on in our yard. Spring is coming. I imagine baby skunks are as cute as baby kittens. June, our neighbor, feeds all manner of animals. She lays out pieces of bread for the birds. But she will be the first to point out that the rats live in that pile of rocks. Some critter, presumably a rat, had tunneled underneath and into our compost bin. When I took the top off, a burrowing gap in the compost itself told me something was living in there. I don't like to kill things, but two years ago I stepped into the garage and spied a rat transversing the rafters. My wife saw it too. I said, that was a rat. I put traps out for it, and within three days it was no longer with us. Since I did not want to kill again, I simply banged the compost bin with a shovel for several days, because I heard that rats do not like to be disturbed. On the third day, in the midst of my banging, I saw a rodent rocket out from underneath the compost bin and disappear into what I would later determine was a small burrow in the Pacasandra. It happened so quickly, I cannot tell you for sure that it was a rat. My wife asked if it had a tail, and I said I did not see a tail, but it might have. I found the gap underneath the compost bin where they had burrowed in and covered it with rocks. Yesterday, I took the car into Straub's for an oil change. After I dropped it off, I walked to Antoinette's and spoiled my diet with a buxom cheese danish. I ate it as I walked up the hill towards the Croton Aqueduct Trail and on towards home. Kay was fixing the seal on the garage door. His swinging back doors of his van were open and Mexican mariachi music softly streamed out. He wore a soft pair of loafers and a mask. He recommended we not put the saddle down on the garage floor because that would prevent the water from running out of the garage. I checked with my wife and she agreed. A few weeks ago at Untermeyer Gardens, we saw a bald eagle floating up above the Hudson. Four of us volunteers were cleaning out debris from the woods on the south side of the property. We dragged out old TV antennas, old hoses, old bottles of Ballantine whiskey. 
I picked up a single large, fairly new running shoe and wondered, how and why did that get here? I brought it up with Anne a week or two later, and she said, what, see, did you think you were going to find a corpse? That's exactly what I was thinking. That stretch of woods was particularly lonely. There was a sinkhole that housed an old metal shopping cart that was so jammed in there we could not pull it out. So who knows what else was at the bottom of that hole in those dark and lonely woods. A pesky squirrel keeps climbing up our rows of Sharon where a block of suet hangs. We knock sharply on the window to move him along. A wee, red-capped, downy woodpecker hangs upside down on the suet cage and pecks away at the goods. The sparrows and the chickadees and the morning doves and the occasional cardinal congregate in the Japanese barberry bush. We are on a mission of removing said bushes, invasive, not native, we would love to see them go, but the birds do love to perch there. So until we come up with a suitable solution, the barberry shall stay. I have learned from the woman who represents the pollinator pathway that the milkweed seeds which I have gathered from last summer require cold stratification. I vigorously shake the brown lunch bag filled with seeds and pennies, and lo and behold, the downy white fluff separates from the seeds. Next, I spread and sandwich the brown flat seeds in between two moist paper towels and put them in a plastic bag and store them in the back of the refrigerator for 30 days. In early May, round Mother's Day, we shall put the seeds into the ground. From what I understand, their stalks can be quite prone to fracture, so it will be important to set up some improvised scaffolding for them to prosper. I want to dig a big garden bed in the back where the rainwater congregates. I want to plant milkweed and various other native plants that are both drought-resistant and like to get their feet wet. I am very eager to put a shovel into the ground and dig up this new garden bed. As my mentor, A.K., said, just make sure the bed has got good curves. I shall drape a garden hose on the ground to guide the ultimate shape of the bed. I hope to plant it with dill and cosmos and obedient plant and goldenrod, echinacea, black-eyed susans, and, as I said before, tons of milkweed. In fact, I floated the name Milkweed Manor past my wife. We are so lucky to have the birds and the bees and the butterflies. Whatever we can do to help them, do we shall. And so, my friend, how is everything in your neck of the woods? Ready for spring to happen? Ready to put some flowers into the ground? Thank you, Nigel, Lewis, Stevenson. Thank you, sir. Mr. Ross, what did you think of Nigel's poetry? I liked it, Douglas. I, I always liked Nigel's poetry. More specific? Well, I liked his listing of the birds, the chickadees and the sparrows and the morning doves and the occasional cardinal congregate in the Japanese barberry bush. And I love how there's this um, section where he's talking about the fairly new shoe and the paranoia that there's a corpse in the sinkhole. That got my attention. But then at the end of the poem, he says, ready to put some flowers into the ground. So it seems to me that the corpse is being put into the ground, but so are flowers. So interesting what the soil or the, or the earth offers us. I see. Thank you, sir. Mr. Ross, you have a new scene from your play, The Keeper's House, to read today? Yes, I do, Douglas. Well, have at it. Thanks, Douglas. Act 2, Scene 4, The Keeper's House, Present Day. The wigwam of the three sisters in the wicker woods, Faith, Hope, and Charity, are practicing their pigeon dance in front of the great mother, who is getting ready to delve into the depths of the Bowery in order to track and retrieve the Dutchman, Spite and Dival. 
Her long gray hair has been cleaned and combed, and she wears her ceremonial deerskin and wampum beads underneath a conventional winter coat. As the three sisters complete their dance, the great mother whoops in joy and applauds them warmly. You and the camera person and Chief Matty Wampus escort the great mother down to the railroad tracks. A freight train approaches at a snail's pace, and the two of you hoist the great mother up onto a boxcar before joining her inside. The interior of the boxcar is capacious but cold. You unroll a few blankets and the great mother sits on top of one in the corner. She sways from side to side to accompany the rhythm of the train. She pulls a length of licorice root from her coat pocket and skins and dices it into small lengths with a small jackknife. She offers you and the camera person a piece. The three of you chew on the licorice root and soon find yourselves falling into a drowsy half-sleep, soothed by the gliding steel murmurs of the iron horse. In no time at all, you arrive at the Bowery. The street is littered with men in various forms of destitution. You follow the diminutive great mother as she quickly inspects the faces of the plethora of pitiful men. The plaintive wail of a saxophone draws her down the avenue. Further down the block, the sound of a voice intermingles with the music. They beckon her. The great mother suddenly stops and cocks her ear to the ground. It is him, she says. She picks up her pace. As the three of you get closer, you discern crooked words spewing from the Dutchman's spite and dival's mouth. Muffled coughs and strings of bloody spittle find their way between his words. And as he coughs and wretches, Sonny Stitt's alto saxophone picks up the slack and smooth adagios. The Dutchman, spite and dival. Time is and time is and you get me. Time is and time was and was is and is was and will be forevermore. Amen. Time takes and time bakes, rakes, shakes, snakes, skates. Time takes and time bakes, rakes, shakes, snakes, skates. Mates one to another and who's your brother? Who's your mother? Wouldn't you rather sit than pit your unsucking chest at the pilgrim's rest near the border of the hoarder who took you under and railed of thunder? Uh-huh. Adagio. The trees tease to please the fleas who shake the leg of the dog who bit them. The woodpecker pecks the hole that wrecks by a mere reflex but still detects a time and place for soothing. Adagio. Forsooth the tooth that felled the booth of nightly truth of speech forever ending. The storm of bees is here to please the hasty knees below the trees upending. Adagio. Trees. Whiskers on the face of the earth. Hands. Shaky but understands. Breath. Halting the onset of death, stones, cousins of bones. Adagio. Under the river there is a river, a sliver of liver, impugned and a shoed, chewed, chomped, humped, romped, I with me, lady, sighing and crying to the sting of the thing that kept us apart from trading our heart into the junk man. Adagio. Junk man. Here's your chance to make romance with the diggity do and the diggity die. Ain't no reason to wonder why, wonder why, wonder why, shy of ten years old when I decided to become a lawyer for those who were disadvantaged, whose vantage was clouded by indecision, fraught with schism, retrovision, television. Who can once be and never be once before the door tour of the mansion of many apartments rests in the chest of the best less waves upon the water? Extended Adagio. And what can I do for you, my little chickadee? The Grey Mother hands Mr. Spite and Dival the soiled treaty and solemnly pronounces, Try this case. The Dutchman Spite and Dival. And who, may I ask, referred you to I? Was it that bird up wheeling through the sky? The Grey Mother. Only me. The Dutchman rifles through the soiled pages of the treaty voraciously, grunting and groaning as he does so. I will take 
this case I will take it to the highest courts of this godforsaken land, and I shall do it on the standard retainer visa visa fee you on the standard retainer visa vis. If you, my fine feathered friend, do not achieve victory, then I shall share in zero of the proceeds, but will shall also have a few attentions to my knees, specifically a root beer float of a Wednesday, repeating if and of which any and all Wednesdays here, now, here, to, for, and here, to, after. Scrambled eggs, gently placed on top of a half-buttered bagel, free range, of course, unlimited auditory. Auditorial infusion of Tchaikovsky's Rite of Spring, lodgings and rehearsal space for my comrade, the indomitable Monsieur Sonny Stitt, and anything else that tickles my fancy from here to the beachhead to eternity. You got me? The Grey Mother bows her head in agreement. The Dutchman. Fine and dandy, lead the way, my little chickadee. And then he turns to his huddling compatriots and says... You see, comrades, I am a man of my word. I had said from morn to bed that the promise of one last case would speed my face and on. But I also said it wouldn't be just any case for me to throw my ace. I would be spit out of my head before I succumbed to being classified as dead. Well, comrades, time has shed me from the grips of nevermore. Handsome Molly, bar the door. We all, it sometimes seems, are looking for, for, more... Adieu, au revoir, now speed me to that heavenly boxcar door. You, the camera person, the great mother, the Dutchman Spiten Dival, and Sonny Stitt saunter away from the Bowery, intersect with the northbound tracks, where a slowly departing boxcar kindly awaits your presence. End. Act 2. Scene 4. Oh! 